Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Welcome to Hyros Gamos Radio, broadcasting out of the lower triangle, Tasmania, the descending tongue of grace, adrift in the freezing waters of Mem between mainland Australia and Antarctica, howling like the hanged man with a brutal hangover. Hyros Gamos Radio is the sacred wedding of matter and spirit, life and art, Thelema and Tao. We call upon the thinkers and feelers and knowers of the new aeon. Our guest is a pioneering burlesque artist who's taken the art form to never-before-charted diabolical places. She's synthesized doom metal and meditation and also holds the office of Initiation Secretary General of the Australian OTO Grand Lodge. She is that magnificent beast of a woman, Carrie X. Well, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you. <laughs> 93. Ah, yes, definitely 93. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, tell us about your early life and your first encounter with Thelema. Uh, my early life was a bit of a mixed bag. I grew up in um, a fairly Catholic family. Um, my grandmother discovered, rediscovered religion on, uh, on becoming ill, as a lot of people do. <laughs> so I kind of grew up uh, with the Catholic family. I went to a Catholic all-girls school for seven years, I think. Um, but I was always very interested in religions and spirituality and that sort of stuff. At one stage in my youth, I thought I might be a nun. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was just my early, early callings to spirituality. So through through the Catholic girls' school, we did actually uh, study religion. So I had a chance to study most of the common religions, um, and then in my own time, I guess I started started expanding on that. I went through the typical teenage gothic Satan worshiping bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my naughty little trips to the library to look up books on Satanism bore fruit, and I found. Um, books on the occult and started kind of getting interested. Then fast forward to a few years later, I actually met um, met a, a Thelemite. He was playing in a band I went on tour with. Um, so we got talking and that's that was kind of my foot in the door to the OTO. Um, yeah, so, so is it true that you moved from Tasmania to join the order? You could say that, yes. Um, it was definitely one of the, the major deciding factors. Um, I think I was just having a bit of a change with my life and I had been in, in contact with the Victorian local body. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd teed up an initiation date uh, to come to Melbourne and kind of crack the shits with what I was doing and ended up just moving to Melbourne as well. And I haven't been back yet. <laughs> it was Not yet. A six-month trip that then got extended to maybe I'll stay for a year and it's been 12 years now. <laughs> wow, 12 years. <laughs> um, so what's the main thing uh, that being a member of the OTO has afforded you? Oh, afforded me. Um, I guess the opportunity to meet like-minded individuals worldwide, um, mainly Australia-wide. I've, I've travelled quite a bit um, with OTO and, and met lots of other local bodies and lots of brethren, but I've also met uh, international 
members as well. Um, I went to a Gnostic Mass in Sweden, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, it's just been, I guess, yeah, it really opens up a fraternity worldwide to you. So, you know, no matter where you are, you can kind of touch base with an OTO local body and if you want to, meet up with people. Um, not to mention some, you know, amazing friendships, amazing collaborations, um, a lot of work. <laughs> um but yeah, just it's afforded me the ability to experience experience the order and and my life within it. Mm. And how does that uh, how 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 does that Thelema uh, um, and magic manifest in in your life? How how do you live together with you know your so called regular life and 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 your magical life? Um, it's very much a part of who I am. I I almost don't separate it at all. Um, I separate it in that, you know, sometimes I get home and I put on my ISG hat and log in and, and do that sort of work. But in general, being a thelemite for me is is 24-7. Like my, my work and my studies in the order shape who I am. So, you know, I, everything I do I look at from – the point of view as a practicing thelemite. Um, I'm not overly secretive about my involvement in the order. I don't advertise it. Um, but most people know I'm interested in the occult and involved in it somehow. So, um, yeah, it, it pretty much touches on all aspects of my life. Even my muggle job, it would be too hard to figure out that I'm into some kooky shit there. So... Yeah, basically, the the way I approach everything is is based on you know my journey through life and in in the order. Mm. How do you find that journey? Would you would you say it's um, a difficult journey? <laughs> um, yes, yes. Yeah. They don't call it the great work for nothing. If um, if it was all sunshine and lollipops, then uh, it wouldn't be worth doing. So it has its challenges, um, but anything worth doing does. And when when you're trying to learn and grow, um, that comes with, you know, its fair share of sorrow and, and heartache as well as joy and, and passion and love. So it's a constant, it's a constant work of learning and growing and, you know, trying to, trying to change the world around you. When, when did you discover burlesque? Um, it probably all started, like my, my dance career started not long after I moved to Melbourne. Um, so my first share house in Melbourne was a seven-person share house in Fitzroy and I lived opposite a well-known belly dance studio. So I used to sit in my lounge room listening to like Middle Eastern music and drums and all of the girls' coin belts and kind of just thought, I reckon I'll give that a go. So I conned my sister into coming to one class with me and she did one class and, what, 12 years later I still still go to the same teacher. Um, that kind of – that was when I discovered my passion for dance. Mm -hmm. um, I guess burlesque came maybe a couple of years later. Oh, maybe Yeah, maybe one or two years later I um, – 
kind of discovered the character work and costumery of burlesque and was really drawn to that. Um, so my dance style is definitely belly dance or my training is belly dance. Um, but I've really embraced kind of the, the burlesque package is in not only my dancing, but I'm creating, creating characters and storylines and little worlds. Yeah. So like dance theater in a, in a sense. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I guess my early life, my art came out in sculpture. So I studied fine arts at University of Tasmania and I majored in sculpture. Mm -hmm. um, however, when I moved to Melbourne, I found that like space-wise it was very difficult to maintain a workshop and a studio. So I guess dance slowly overtook as the way I manifest artwork. So it's kind of become physical, physical sculptures, physical moving sculptures. <laughs> if I if I want to be that wanky. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you you are the sculpture, I guess. I mean, yeah. 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 Um. So what? Why do you think it's such a fertile ground for expression? Um. As a woman, that's. Um. Burlesque typically typically champions womanhood um you know it's a it's a space where you can express who you are um what you look like and it's a fairly safe space to do that there's not so much judgment because the way you're presenting your product or yourself or your performance you know people are already there to be supportive no one really goes to see dancers thinking you know I'm going to be an asshole and cut this person down. So it's, it's like for all of its bitchiness, which any any community has, it's a very supportive community and a very creative community. Um, and for me personally, the character work is really, really what draws me to it. I mean, as I said, my training is all belly dance, but, you know, there's a reason I perform mainly as a burlesque performer opposed to a belly dancer. I am... Um, I guess burlesque for me was the perfect way to meld, um, you know, my passion for art and storytelling and magic into a physical manifestation. I generally, when I'm creating an act, you know, study the character I want to do. I'll go into like, you know, what colors are suitable, what scents, what, you know, what feelings, what song is going to suit. So for me, it's it's a way of creating, you know, aspects of my personality and archetypes. So, you know, I can either channel an aspect of myself or I can channel uh, an archetype or I can create a whole storyline. It's just a, it's a very complete package for me. Mm -hmm. um, this would be a good time to mention brutalities. Uh, if that's how I pronounce it, pronounce that correctly. Sure. Um, yeah, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so basically well, a year and a bit ago, I was given the opportunity to um, start teaching at a studio in Melbourne. Um, so I kind of sat down and thought about what I wanted to do. I specifically didn't want to go down the path of you know, teaching your typical classic burlesque class. Um, one, there's enough of them as it is. Two, I don't truly believe you can teach burlesque, being that 
you know, burlesque is a, it's a concept. It's all sorts of different things. So, you know, you can have a comedian be a burlesque performer. You can have musical theatre. You can have ballet. Like I do belly dance. So it's, it's kind of hard to be like, this is what burlesque is and I'm going to teach it. So I decided to kind of put together two things I like. So, you know, heavy music, like metal music and um, burlesque, but as opposed to teaching burlesque moves, I was more interested in teaching basic dance moves and trying to build and teach confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my favourite motto for class was always – you know, fake it till you make it and also that confidence is a muscle. So the more we practice using it, the stronger it gets. Um, so basically I was just trying to create an alternative space for women who wanted to, you know, be a bit sassy, work on their confidence and not be in a room full of opera-length gloves listening to 50s music that, you know, you're not into. So... Yeah, it's an ongoing project to try and try and um, get women in touch with with their sensuality, women and men. I'm happy to teach both. So, do, do you get many men at all? Currently, I've only run my classes from a women's only gym, so no. <laughs> However, um, you know, I'd be happy to open it up. Um, sadly, my my day job has taken up a lot of my time lately and I haven't really been teaching much um but hopefully with the new year as things settle down I'll start start writing more classes and and broadening the horizons so I'd like to see some gents come along (laughs) yeah me too I think actually it'll be great to (laughs) yeah yeah um so meditation and do metal are not things that often appear in the same sentence tell us about deep noir meditation See, I don't know why because doom metal for me is so, so relaxing and meditative. Um, so, yeah, that was another the, – the studio I was teaching at, like, had said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're looking for, like, meditation classes. And I was like, shit, yeah, let's do it. Like, I do it with doom metal, so let's do that. And they were keen, so we created uh, Deep Noir. So it's basically – a guided meditation accompanied by a theme album. Um, so I usually pick, uh, you know, a pretty trancey doom album. Um, look, I can meditate to doom with extreme vocals, but I usually try and pick something without too much vocal work so it doesn't distract people. <laughs> but I just find, like, you know, your ambient drone doom usually embraces the kind of, drone and rhythm really suitable to deep breathing and relaxing the body and also you know not everyone's into your hippie and your crap so just offering something different to you know people to help help improve their personal practice or have some time out or just listen to a sick album <laughs> <laughs> listen to a sick album well i guess you know do do metal you know opposed to you know other forms of metal being a lot slower and and yeah. and d- low end as well i guess it, it makes yeah. sense for, for for that meditative meditative way maybe i'll give it a go <laughs> i guess i first discovered it because when i used to tour um 
with bands a long time ago, I'd often put doom metal on to sleep on like, you know, in the car or on the plane or something because it's loud enough to drown out everyone else, but it is drony and relaxing. So I guess that's when I first discovered that it was really suitable for meditation. <laughs> Um, it seems that a lot of art is externalized, uh, like, so, um, like you, I guess you're talking about sculpture, you know, you use your body to make, to make, um, make art. Um, can you talk about this more in the body and, and, and what that means to you, if you could elaborate? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I mentioned, I used to, I used to work as a sculptor. Um, so I've always been interested in objects and shapes, um, but I've also always really loved music. However, I discovered pretty pretty early on that I was a shitful musician. <laughs> so I think discovering uh, dance was a way I could be involved in music and, and create music you know, kind of in that the dancer is the physical embodiment of music. So I really like creating a visual to accompany music as well as my storyline that I've created or all my concepts. So it's, it's a very, you know, fleshy, visceral way of exploring themes. Um, also, I'm probably slightly vain so I do like performing I do like being in front of a crowd um which is always weird because I'm generally pretty down on humanity <laughs> but yeah it's 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 a calling I miss the stage when I'm when I haven't performed for a while so I guess I guess it was you know the physicality of dance was the perfect perfect mesh for me between study, art, and, you know, manifestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. If we get back to, back to more OTO-related topics, uh, can, sure. can you tell us about uh, the Initiation Secretary General and how that came about, what the yep. job entails and the challenges that's associated with it? Yes, yeah, so my office um, portfolio generally falls under the Grand Secretary General. So um, a few years ago when we had a new new office to take over Grand Secretary General, she asked me if I would be interested in fulfilling the Initiation Secretary role, um, which I was. I've always been a bit of a freak for filing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I took it on board a couple of years ago. Um, I think there's been a few people fill the post prior to me. So I inherited, uh, many, many years worth of filing and pledge forms. So basically the, the role is overseeing initiations within uh, the Australian Grand Lodge. Um, so when a local body gets a candidate, they fill out their pledge form and that gets sent to me. So I physically hold all of the pledge forms. So it's it's a bit of a safekeeping role. I I oversee and take care of, you know, generations worth of people's magical documents. Um so basically I just it's a glorified secretary role. I 
you know, I oversee filing, I make sure procedure is followed, I answer questions, um, I keep records, you know, if down the track anyone wants to know something about a member or their own history, I can look it up for them. But I guess also going forward, I would like to kind of expand the role and, and get it more active. So I am trying to slowly get more involved with initiators. So opposed to being just like a, you know, a dusty filing agent in the background, be a port of call for initiators, um, help them connect with where they need to be. Um, and yeah, basically just help ensure that our initiations are benefiting the brethren. Mm. Um, so yeah, I do, I do enjoy it. I do, I do feel a connection with uh, these magical documents and I'm very honoured to be their caretaker currently. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess my, my work there has enhanced my studies of the Lima and magic and our initiations by um, really realising that every step we take uh, is significant. So even just filling out our pledge form is a significant magical step. Um, so I make sure that we, we treat, treat these things with the reverence they deserve and make sure that for posterity, you know, it's all kept in good condition so that future generations can, you know, benefit from the work we're doing now as well. Mm, mm. It's a, yeah, well, it sounds like it's quite, quite an important job, quite a meticulous job, I think. That's, that's what it sounds like, making sure all the files are in order. And <laughs> yes, um, I joke of myself as uh, the fine-tooth comb. <laughs> so. Oh, well, that's, well, I think that's what you need, isn't it? I mean, that's... Well, my theory is we can't comprehend what little things might affect things. So I make sure everything is done to a T on our forms and in our process because we can't know for certain like if down the track missing one, you know, one line in the pledge form or, or one day in the time frame, we don't know how that will affect the candidate um, and their journey. So I guess in a way I feel like I'm, I'm overseeing making sure that our candidates get the absolute best experience they can out of, you know, out of our journey. Hmm. Uh, compared to other kingdoms, the OTO Australia seems to embrace a lot of women in executive roles. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, look, I'm not too familiar with offices around the world. Um, so I hadn't really realised Australia had you know, a large number of women at, in executive roles. It does, it does make sense. Um, we are a pretty strong sisterhood down here. Um, I think part of it is that we were the right people for the roles as well. We're um, a talented bunch of lasses. Um, but also, you know, um, Thelema is about equality. Every man and every woman is a star. So I don't see any reason why we shouldn't have, you know, a more equal representation of brothers and sisters in roles within the order. Um, I think it's a very, very 
old school mentality to have men in positions of power, which, you know, isn't just an OTO thing. It's pretty worldwide. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just the lemur getting with the times and being ahead of, ahead of the pack and, um, having the sisters represent and, and be a part of things and, you know, using talent where talent is. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's regardless. Regardless. Of that's it. So, you know, there happen to be some women in executive roles. Uh, I, I believe we were the best people for the job at the time, um, regardless of what's in our pants. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess um, if you could elaborate more about what are, what other challenges that women would face face in the OTO, um, and also what sort of things came up in the women's conference that was held a few years back. I think in general, problems facing women in the order are a, a bit of a hangover of problems women have in general, um, as in we're often overlooked. Um, there's the habit for the masculine to assume that, you know, females are weaker or we're not as intelligent. Um, so I think it's, it's just the typical battle for women of pushing the stereotypes that, you know, men are in, you know, men are more important, men are smarter, men are more book, book wise and embracing you know, what, what femininity has to offer and, and what women can do. Um, so, yeah, there's always the, you know, the fact that you asked me about why we have women in executive roles, um, mm -hmm. little things like that, you know. It's never occurred to anyone why there's so many men in executive roles. So we, we face the challenge of people constantly questioning why we do things. Mm -hmm. Um so I guess at the women's conference, that was kind of geared at trying to get the sisters together, um, get everyone involved, see what everyone's up to, and create a bit of a forum so that women can feel feel involved. Um, so I guess the the challenges we we kind of came across there is the you know how do women get involved? How do women get respect? Um, basically how do, how do we get our brothers to see us as, you know, a, an equal star deserving of, of our place in the solar system, um, which I definitely think is happening. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's a very old Aeon thing to have, you know, males as, you know, the pinnacle of power. And I think, as we move forward as a society, we are, you know, slowly embracing equality more and more, both both in everyday life and in in occult and magical orders. Yeah, look, I have noticed over the years um, that male and female magic does tend to be different. Um, so it's kind of cool to get men and women together and collaborate and you know, and get some really cool funky stuff happening opposed to, you know, the kind of book-heavy male magic and the, um, you know, women tend to be more arty and, and obscure in our magic. So huh. I think we definitely have something to offer. And, um, yeah, like I said, working together, we can create some pretty cool stuff.
and it's about working together as well. It's good to have the masculine and the feminine. Exactly, equality. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, there's a natural attrition of ginger members in the order. In in your long time in the order, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it is just a, a bit of a natural thing dependent on varying trends. Um, like I said, the great work is work. Um, so I think some people fall out because it's hard. It, it's hard to, um, you know, look at yourself and how you do things and try and become a better thelemite and a better person. So for some people, the challenges are too much. Um, for some people, it's just not right for them. Like, you know, a lot of people come to the order expecting something and if it's not what they expect, then they tend to drop off. Um, also, it's a pretty heavy commitment, um, you know, the work required and especially going going forward in the order, serving your fellow brethren, it's, it's a lot of hard work. It can be tough. Um, it's also very rewarding and that's not for everyone. Um, but also it's, you know, it can be a, a local thing. So there can be trends in local bodies. Um, often friend groups kind of, uh, what's the word, develop um, and create their own cliques and stuff. So as they move and grow, they can, you know, come and go from the order as well. I think in the past I used to find the attrition rate troubling, whereas having been in the order for so long now, I just see it as kind of natural for the man of earth bodies because it is, you know, it is every man and woman's journey. So where their journey takes them isn't always necessarily completely within our order and sometimes their journey you know is completely suitable for the order so you know I think it's it's natural to have people to come and go like otherwise we'd be a bit culty if it was like you know everyone must stay (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Again, a bit reflective of, of wider society and, and I'm sure kind of say you're talking about like your, your dance groups and things, people would come and go, you know, for, for those kind yeah. of things. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Thelema being about following your true will, um, you know, people's wills are varied and, and they can, can take on all sorts of journeys. So often people, you know, will will join and hang around for a few years and then they, their journey might take them elsewhere for a couple of years and they might not engage with the order too much but then they'll be drawn back to the order later so it's often needs to be looked at from a a long-term perspective as well because you know as we grow and evolve as people you know we our involvement in the order and our journey within the order changes as well look basically my my life in the order has been good like I said, it's it's up and down. I often, <laughs> I often when I'm having a bad time, think, God damn it, I signed up for this shit. But at the same time, I'm I'm very passionate. Um, I truly believe in Thelema. Um, I I truly 
want to help my fellow brethren, you know, with their will as well. And I'm really grateful for, for the discovery of the Lema and what it's done for my life, how I've mixed it with, with my day-to-day life and my artwork. Um, yeah, and I really hope my fellow brethren also, you know, take a lot from, from their time in the order and, and with the Lima. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It was, it was good to have you. Oh, thank you very much. Any time. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed the show. None of the opinions expressed by hosts or guests reflect the policies of OTO Australia, its members or officers. This is your host, Sora Murr. Love is the law. Love under will.